In recent years, heat waves have become less and less of an anomaly due to climate change. Across the globe, scorching temperatures are changing the way we live, work, and play. However, not everyone is impacted in the same way. The impact on people of weather conditions is very different. And so when we're in East Africa and you're in an informal settlement with you know, a building that someone built for themselves that's a galvanized metal building, they're living in an oven. And their experience of temperatures that might be survivable for me are very different because of the built environment they're in. But I think the really important thing here is you don't have to get on an airplane to find these disparate impacts from heat in people's lives. This is not just around the world, it's, it's around the corner. And although droughts and wildfires provide the most dramatic illustration of the dangers of extreme heat, the threats of heat stroke presents a great danger to human life. And this is leaving many of us asking the question, what are we doing to help keep our most vulnerable populations safer? As part of our primary research, once we zero down on a city in Ahmedabad, we spend a lot of time with various construction workers. I'd like to talk about one particular person, Ajay, who is a construction worker. And uh, in case of Ajay, he's the sole breadwinner for a family of four. So every day is working is essential for him. His work, if you see, it typically starts about eight in the morning. So he has to wake up very early and it continuously goes and ends up to about six or seven in the evening. So he typically earns, you know, very little amount, about $5 a day. And uh, you won't believe that during summer, he experiences working environment of 46 to 48 degrees centigrade, even sometimes more than that. You just heard from Kurt Schickman, Director of Extreme Heat Initiatives at the Adrian R. Schreckefeller Foundation Resilience Center, and Rohith B.L., Director of Innovation at Train Technologies. I'm Dominique Silva, and you're listening to Healthy Spaces, the podcast exploring how technology and innovation are transforming the spaces where we live, work, and play. And in today's episode, we're exploring the innovations keeping individuals and communities safer in the face of extreme heat. We'll find out about some of the initiatives helping to keep buildings, and even entire cities, cool. And we'll learn about the wearable tech, protecting construction workers in India against the dangers of heat waves and heat stroke. With the dangers of extreme heat becoming a much more global issue than it ever was, organizations such as the Adrian Arch Rockefeller Foundation Resilience Center are working to find new ways to develop community-wide strategies to keep people comfortable. And when you're dealing with a global crisis, you need to take a global approach. And this is exactly what Kurz and his team are trying to do. We're a nonprofit based in the United States where we work on uh, improving resilience and our goal is to reach a billion people with resilience solutions by 2030. And the thematic focus of the center is addressing the increasingly dire challenge of extreme heat in our communities, in our cities, and even in our rural areas as well. My background is really in the passive cooling space. So I've been working on this issue since 2011, where I launched a nonprofit called the Global Cool Cities Alliance, which worked on this idea of bringing really simple, straightforward, common sense design and technology solutions to buildings, to cities, to communities that help us cool up those indoor spaces, cool up those outdoor spaces so that we can have more thermally comfortable and safe environments. So we worked around the world developing both policy and implementation 
So actually getting these technologies out there. And now it's really focused on the broader issues. So it's not just the solutions, but how do we help people understand the danger of heat in their environment and what they can do about it? And then I think the other really important piece is how do we stop doing just heroic opportunism? How do we think about this in a global scale? So it's really thinking more about how we scale this work at a time when we absolutely need to. So you've had the opportunity to travel all around the world and you've probably experienced heat waves in more places than most of us. What can you tell us about the difference you've seen in the ways that communities experience and adapt to extreme urban heat? The impact on people of weather conditions is very different. And so when we're in East Africa and you're in an informal settlement with you know, a building that someone built for themselves that's a galvanized metal building, they're living in an oven. And their experience of temperatures that might be survivable for me are very different because of the, the built environment they're in. So you're absolutely right. And this varies around the world. But I think the really important thing here is you don't have to get on an airplane to find these disparate impacts from heat in people's lives. You can walk around your block. I'll take my block as an example. There are people on my block that have air conditioners, but they can't afford to run them all the time. There are people that have no choice but to work outside. And so they're exposed more. There are people that are uh, take certain types of medications or have existing health conditions that make them predisposed to more risk from heat. And so our response to this has to be scaled, but it also needs to be thoughtful about the communities into which these technologies, these solutions are going, and that they need to meet many different needs. And so that's why, you know, in the work we do, we want to find ways that we can cool cities and using all the different methods that are out there, passive and active, to make that happen. It's really good that you are encouraging us to think beyond just the climates that exist around the world. And indeed, when we think about hot and humid climates, our minds tend to go to East Africa and India. But really, you gave your example of your block, right? I, I live here in Brussels, and there's a really big difference between if I'm going for a walk on a hot day, you know, a more low-income neighborhood that has no trees, that has no parks, I'm really going to experience that in a very different way than, you know, if I go to an area with newer buildings that emit less heat, less concrete, more trees, more parks. And we even talked about that a little bit in our first episode. So that's, it's really important to think that it's not just where we live from a geographical perspective, but the built environment around us can impact the way that we experience heat. So throughout your career, you've been really a big advocate for passive cooling measures and passive cooling technologies. So let's start there. How would you define passive cooling and why do you see it as such an important tool? Passive cooling is essentially ways that we regulate thermal comfort in our buildings and in our communities that don't require energy. And it can be a package of solutions, like physical solutions. It can be design choices, both in the building themselves and in the sort of design of the communities. It can be natural solutions, incorporating water and thinking about the way wind flows to capture cool spaces and moving that coolness to other places. So it is a, a package of design and material choices that leave us with the most thermally comfortable environment we can have before we think about energy-based cooling or what I will call active cooling. I often hear, you know, passive versus active as if they are two different things and we do one or the other. These are absolutely integrated with the active cooling solutions we're thinking about. And it's not just on buildings that don't have air conditioning or won't ever have air conditioning, like when we talk about informal settlements, for example. It is also critical on commercial buildings, you know, institutional buildings and so on, that we have these as an integrated set. 
so that we can optimize the efficiency, the resilience, and ultimately the thermal comfort of the people that are living, learning, and working in the buildings we build. And while Kurt's current work is helping to develop and promote the latest innovations in heat resiliency, his experience in this area extends back over a decade, all the way to when he founded the Global Cool Cities Alliance. And in his 10 plus years working in this area, he's seen some pretty impressive initiatives implemented in cities all around the world. In terms of what the types of solutions are that are out there that, that we've seen deployed, I would sort of categorize them into sort of two big categories. The first would be rejecting solar energy. And so by that, we mean when the sun's energy hits a building, it is either going to degrade into and turn into heat that warms the building and warms the air, or it can be reflected. So lightening the colors of the buildings or increasing the reflectivity of the buildings is really important. So that can be done very simply or with a lot of high technology, very uh, sophisticated materials. So we see things like, you'll hear terms like cool roofs or white roofs, cool walls, increasingly cool pavements, so roads that are lighter in color or more reflective. So that's one sort of piece of the puzzle. The other side is cooling through evapotranspiration or sort of the natural process that vegetation absorbs solar energy and releases water vapor that the sun's energy can then absorb uh, to help cool the space. So it's a latent heat reduction. And there we're talking about things like increases in park space, increases in tree cover, And that can also benefit buildings by creating the third piece of this, which is shade. And so, yeah, those are sort of the three kind of key ways that we think of passive cooling. Now, I would also say that's sort of on the solution side. On the design side, it is thinking about how buildings are used and where people are. So, for example, in a hospital, you wouldn't want to put your maternity ward on the top floor of a hospital. You'd want it on the lower floor where there's more protection from the direct solar radiation, for example. It's having bedrooms in the northern hemisphere on the north side of the building rather than on the south side of the building where the sun's energy has been heating up the side of that wall all day. And then, you know, you've got a warm bedroom to sleep in. So there's design aspects to this. It's also orientation of our buildings. All those things factor into passive cooling. So I guess I started off saying there are two things. I guess there's more like five things here. So I'd love for you to maybe give us some examples of some cities that you think would be a really good inspiration if we want to look for a model or best practice. In terms of solution sets, let's talk about sort of individual solutions. You've got a number of cities around the world that have really leaned into this idea of requiring more thermally comfortable materials or materials that will generate thermal comfort more readily than the sort of traditional building materials that we've used. Let's take Los Angeles as an example. The idea of a a cool roof is a no-brainer when you're talking about a flat roof that no one sees. You can make it bright white and no one's going to even know. But most of our cities, at least in the U.S., are steep slope or pitched roofs, and they're residential. So there was a need to think about what are the solutions for all of that roof space where a purely white roof would not really make sense from an aesthetic perspective or otherwise. And so L.A. has done amazing work on encouraging through code, regulation, and through incentives, the use of of cooler shingles that can look as dark as a regular shingles, but actually reflect more of the sun's energy. And those are now required in Los Angeles, the city and in the county. So these little incremental changes over a huge set of roof areas is really powerful. LA's really uh, you know, led the way in that respect. Uh, we've seen cities like Phoenix, San Antonio, and cities in Australia and in the Gulf try out things like cool pavements. So essentially the same concept, but on the 35 to 40 percent of our, of our cities are paved. And so these cities are testing out different solutions for improving the ability of those services to reduce 
thermal load and increased thermal comfort in different in different aspects. So there's that. And then I'd say you could look all over the world. So Medellin in Colombia, all through Europe, in Seoul, South Korea, this idea of how do we get uh, creative and innovative in bringing nature back into our cities. And so it's not just planting trees and walking away. It's how do we really think creatively about adding that those green spaces, how we link those green spaces up so that people can move from space to space in a thermally comfortable way, you know, in the shade. And also how do we make sure those that sort of underlying uh, structures support the sustainability of those trees. Those of us who probably aren't living yet in really cool urban cities just yet, what tips would you give to someone who's thinking about, well, how do I stay safe, right, during a heat wave? How do I keep my parents and my grandparents and my children safe during a heat wave? Do you have any tips or recommendations there? I would first start off by saying I am not a doctor. I'm not a medical practitioner. I'm not even a public health expert. So there are amazing resources from uh, the Red Cross and others that will give you, I think, very specific guidance on, on what to do. But the first thing is, I think it's really important. We often talk about vulnerable populations, and we then immediately think of elderly. We think of pregnant women or pregnant people. But actually, we're all, we're all vulnerable. When you look at this particular heat wave that's going through Europe right now, there's been three high-profile deaths that have occurred. There have been many, many more that haven't been covered. But the three are men in their late 30s and early 40s who are outdoor workers. So these are healthy people who are in conditions that their body couldn't sustain. So I think the first thing is to remember that we are all vulnerable and we have to listen to our bodies. And when you start to feel lightheaded, when you start to feel not yourself, that's the moment when you need to get yourself inside. If you, if you can't get inside, you know, cooling your wrists or cooling your ankles, places where your blood is near the surface is, is really helpful. It's planning ahead. So having enough water with you or being able to access water if you can, that's cool and potable. It is finding shade and staying in it. If you're an outdoor worker or you, you're outdoors a lot, if you can change your schedule, if you have that luxury, that's the time to do it. Uh, so there are all these sort of individual preventive behaviors that, that can be done. But the other thing that's really important here is the social aspect of this. So when you look at communities that are resilient to heat, it's not just the things they're doing for themselves. It's not just the types of buildings they're in. It's the things they do for each other. So it's things like checking on your neighbor, checking on family. And this is where government support can come in. So, you know, phone banking to people that you know are in your system for other reasons, making sure they're doing okay. In New York, for example, there is a program where home health aides, who are often a single point of contact for, you know, shut-in elderly folks, and a trusted source, they're actually trained to see the uh, threat of heat stress and heat sickness and take preventive action. So these ideas of sort of the social safety net, uh, formal and informal, kicking in during these hot days is really critical. Some excellent advice there from Kurt. And if you want to learn more about some of the work Kurt and his team have been doing around implementing strategies to reduce urban heat, follow the link in the show notes. Earlier, we explored how cities and communities are leveraging new and old technologies to become more heat resilient. But the impacts of heat waves are felt at an individual level too, and construction workers are among the most vulnerable to experiencing heat stroke. And here to tell us more about the part Train Technologies is playing in addressing this challenge is Director of Innovation Rohith B.L. I'm Rohit. I'm part of corporate innovation team in my organization. 
So my job is basically to engage with external world pretty much, uh, scout for new technologies and see how we can commercialize them by integrating them into our product lines. In addition to that, I actively participate in organization initiatives on sustainabilities and impacting positively to the communities. Oh, that's cool. And your organization, just to be clear, because we can say it, is Train Technologies. All right, so let's dive in and talk about perhaps one of the first social innovation projects that you worked on. So we call this the personal cooling vest or the the personal cooling jacket. I'd love for you to tell our listeners, how did the idea of the personal cooling vest actually come about? And how did you decide where you were going to start? So this idea actually of uh, personal cooling vest or jacket, what we call it as, got triggered by the CEO himself, you know, during the conversation. Uh, so he actually questioned the team and later it came to us was that, you know, we are one of the world leaders in providing cooling solutions to the people who actually occupy the buildings. What about those vulnerable population who are involved in constructing these buildings? Because they go through a lot of hardship, right? So we took up this challenge and started uh, basically the primary research in India because we are residing in India and India has these kind of uh, vulnerable population. We quickly figured out that uh, it's, it is indeed a very big challenge for those people who work in harsh environmental conditions. So we our research showed that uh, there's a city in western part of India called Ahmedabad, one of the lovely city already has a heat wave mitigation plan in place because they experienced uh, one of the devastating heat wave during 2009. And the local municipal corporations and NGOs, they all came together and uh, came up with a heat wave mitigation plan. And we thought, okay, this is the right city for us to spend time and understand, okay, how exactly, you know, these construction workers face problems, especially during heat waves. Uh, so once we understood that, we actually traveled to Ahmedabad and uh, we spent quite a bit of time there with important stakeholders, municipal corporation, NGOs and uh, disaster mitigation departments of the of government of India and importantly, the construction workers. So this is how, you know, uh, it all got initiated. So for our listeners, can you take us through a day in the life of a construction worker in Ahmedabad? As part of our primary research, once we zero down on a city in Ahmedabad, we spend a lot of time with various construction workers. I'd like to talk about one particular person, Ajay, who is a construction worker. And uh, in case of Ajay, he's the sole breadwinner for a family of four. So every day is working is essential for him. So his work, if you see, it's typically starts about eight in the morning. So he has to wake up very early and it continuously goes and ends up to about six or seven in the evening. So he typically earns, you know, very little amount, about $5 a day. And uh, you won't believe that during summer, he experiences working environment of 46 to 48 degrees centigrade, even sometimes more than that. And uh, even for me, being from southern part of India, I never experienced that kind of, uh, you know, temperatures. It was a very, very, uh, you know, challenging experience for me. But it's not just the fact that it's hot outside. I mean, these people are really 
doing really intense work, right? It's not like they're sitting on a chair watching the birds fly by. It's really heavy labor kind of work in such hot and humid climates. Yeah, very true. You mentioned it rightly. And it's all heavy, intensive physical work, you know. And by the way, once we understood that, we really, you know, felt like we have to do something to help out these people like Ajay. And we figured out that uh, only in India, there are about 170 million plus people are, uh, working in harsh environmental conditions like Ajay. And you won't believe in worldwide, it, the number goes up above 740 million. And uh, for our surprise, if you look at their working age group, it is anywhere as low as about 15 years sometimes, and it can go above 65 years, you know. So throughout their life, they need to keep working because they're daily wage workers and, you know, one day not working, you know, they will really struggle for food. So this population, they belong to base of the pyramid population. There are about 4 billion people come under category of base of the pyramid population out of 7 billion plus. And interestingly, if you really deep dive into this uh, base of the pyramid population, you see actually pyramid within the pyramid. That means, you know, within this 4 billion BOP population, uh, so you see a varying income level. That's, wow, that's really impressive. So once you understood Ajay's sort of journey, right, his day in the life, his needs, the challenges he has to deal with on a daily basis, how did you go about defining the requirements for your solution? What we did, uh, we did spend quality time in Ahmedabad. We basically wanted to understand what happens to the human body uh, during heat wave and when you know heat stroke affects you. So if you know that when any human being is affected with heat stroke, it often results in dizziness, cramps or convulsions and things like that. It starts with that. And if it is not treated immediately, it may result in death. And remember I mentioned about 2009 devastating uh, heat wave in Ahmedabad. Uh, I believe 1,000 plus people actually, uh, you know, come to death uh, because of that heat wave in 2009. And remember more than that, it also affects daily earning capability of people like Ajay. And no earning, no food for them. And uh, when we spent time there with them, we also found out that they have some sort of uh, you know managing this heat wave because they really don't want to stop working so what they do they carry out small amount of sugar you know so whenever they feel that kind of dizziness they understand that okay heat wave is affecting them they consume sugar which gives them instant energy so ajay need to you know have a sustained respite from he extreme heat uh, when this temperature soars and he need to comfortably work even in that kind of, you know, uh, peak temperatures. Another important thing also you need to understand here is that, uh, you know, these higher daily peak temperatures during summer and more, more intense heat waves are becoming very frequent, uh, right? Nowadays, we hear, read that about that in day in, day out in uh, newspapers. That's mainly because of this, you know, global warming and other things which means the condition of working for these people like Ajay is deteriorating every summer comes, you know. Wow. Well, that's such great examples of designing with, with empathy and really understanding the needs of your design target, who in this case was, was Ajay, right? He was your, your inspiration for the journey that you, you went on. So once you, you know, came up with the idea for a personal cooling vest, maybe let's start by just 
quickly explaining to me, how does it work exactly? What is this? So far, I spoke about Ajay and his working condition. So then later, we spent with other major stakeholders like local governments, NGOs, and try to understand, you know, what is their mitigation plans in place? So whenever there is a heat wave, right, they basically come up with their plan, which includes awareness campaign, then public warning systems, then providing some temporary shelters, and providing some extra portable water. Though all of these are actually designed, keeping in mind people like Ajay, this is actually, in fact, not helping Ajay much. You know why? In order to avail these facilities, he has to stop working. So the only solution way out we can help out Ajay is that providing something personalized. So that's how uh, we concluded that, you know, a personal cooling vest is an ideal solution for him. And why we spoke about vest? Because the upper torso of the body has to be cooled uh, in order to protect anybody from heat wave. And that's how, you know, uh, we, we zero down on providing personal cooling vest. So now that we understood that this is the way forward for providing a solution, our time, what we spent with Ajay, also helped us in defining some of the requirements, right? So one of the examples I can very well tell is that, you know, we understood that weight of the vest cannot exceed half a kilo. The moment it exceeds, that means, you know, it really affects a person like Ajay because as we discussed before, right? So it is a very physical intensive work. For people like Ajay, the cooling vest needed to work with them and for them keeping them cool, while ultimately allowing them the freedom to carry on with their job without impacting their performance. So Rohith and his team needed a solution which would be light, durable, and simple. So what kind of technology did they ultimately land on to meet these requirements? We as humans have two temperatures. One we call it as core and other is the skin temperature, surface temperature. At any point of time, our core temperature should not get affected, which should be always maintained at 37 degrees centigrade, okay? Now, the surface temperature can be about five to six, six degrees lesser or more. So, as long as this is maintained, so we will not get affected with uh, heat stroke. Whenever heat stroke affects us for some reason, okay, it actually immediately affects the vital organs like heart, or kidneys so we understood from the medical experts that you know as long as you actually keep these vital organs cool then you can actually postpone the effect of this heat stroke that's how we learned it and uh, with all these inputs what we did is that we went ahead and chosen a technology what we call it as evaporative cooling vest which means vest needs to be dipped into the water and remove, squeeze it and remove excess water and uh, Ajay needs to wear it uh, while working. Now, due to a evaporative cooling effect, which is a technology, a technical term, Ajay feels it cool because when you, water evaporates, uh, it actually takes the adjacent heat and provides that coolness. Now, the challenge was to identify a right material, okay, which can hold enough amount of water and do not give out this water so easily to the other apparels and also should provide this cooling continuously for Ajay at least for three to four hours. We identified some right polymers uh, which does all of these jobs very perfectly. 
so that was the very key uh, to designing our uh, you know jacket and in addition to that you know we went ahead uh, spent time and uh, designed the vest in such a way that you know it is adjustable to uh, fit all types of body types then we also came up with some antimicrobial treated coating uh, which can be worn by ajay safely and also durability is also another important thing so we designed it in such a way that it lasts at least for 2 to 3 seasons so once you landed on a design you went on to build and test a prototype and how did that phase go did ajay approve of your solution in the end so we were eagerly waiting to build few prototypes of this uh, vest and test now we had to validate a uh, few of the technical and marketing uncertainties so we did carry out this lab test with uh, something called thermal mannequin thermal mannequins are actually uh, exact replica of uh, humans i would say you can actually simulate the metabolism you can simulate sweat rate and then measure the core temperature then skin temperature all what not you know <laughs> so we learned that we can test this way and we quickly partnered with the uc berkeley in california who had this kind of mannequin and carried out series of tests at 48 degree ambient condition simulating that and uh, i'm happy to share some of the you know results of that we were able to bring down the skin temperature of this mannequin by 6 to 8 degrees which means it is within that 37 degree core temperature plus or minus 5 6 degrees right of skin temperature and we were able to provide this cooling at 48 degree ambient for about 3 hours okay and another interesting thing is that we also observed that 40% less heat was absorbed by by the skin of the mannequin from ambient which means you know the dehydration rate which people experiences during uh, heat wave you can actually uh, postpone or prolong that you know i myself was wearing this vest because i couldn't tolerate that uh, yellow alert and red alert times of uh, heat wave you know and it honestly helped me and to answer your question whether uh, ajay liked it he's definitely liked it as much as our mannequin at uh, uc berkeley liked it <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh last question here about the cooling vest so where you, have you been able to uh scale the solution yes of course dominic and that's another challenging which we learned uh, i would say we thought that you know it's uh, working so well that uh, it can be easily scaled up but we learned that you know we really need to work with a lot of stakeholders and good news is that after uh, you know presenting them the case studies of ahmedabad uh, ajay and testing and all these things we were really able to engage with uh, very important stakeholders including undp united nations development program they work uh, very closely with the various municipalities across india and uh, they shown interest and uh, you know as we speak today uh, we actually scaled up uh, and introduced these jackets to many people like ajay across india you, uh, along with the undp so rohit we got two last uh, quick questions here since this experience that you had with the personal cooling vest have you had the chance to work on any other similar projects there are many such initiatives from our organization i'm happy to say that uh, one more success story which i would like to mention here and i was part of it uh, is uh, what we call it as cooling cart 
So in countries like India, same the uh, BOP population, couple of them also engages in selling fruits and vegetables on streets, uh, you know, using a cart, which you might have seen. So they enter this profession because, you know, there's no barrier to entry. So that's one of the reasons they get into that. Now, these street vendors, they contribute to the last mile of food supply chain, which is a very important thing in countries like India. And for those who do not know about it, there are about 40% of these fruits and vegetables gets wasted because of, you know, some unscientific uh, ways of uh, preserving these perishables and vending them. So we have, we thought that, okay, we need to do something here, right? And we have developed what is called as cooling cart. And it's, I'm happy to say that it's completely passive in nature, which means it keeps the cart cool without using any energy. So it is helping them to reduce wastage of up to two thirds what they have been experiencing today. And because now wastage has reduced, it has also in doubled their income. So we are not only addressing the food waste and hunger here, but also you know helping uplifting the livelihood of this uh, BOP population. A big thank you to Kurt and Rohit for joining us on today's episode, where we discussed heat mitigation strategies, keeping people safer at both the personal and societal level. And thank you for listening. If you want to find out more information about our conversation today, make sure you check out the show notes. And remember to rate and review Healthy Spaces in your favorite podcast app. Healthy Spaces is a Lower Street production in collaboration with Train Technologies. This season was produced by Ryan Sutton, with production support by Daria Lawson and our sound engineer is Alex Bennett. I'm your host, Dominique Silva. That's it for this season, but don't worry, we'll be back soon for another special episode of Healthy Spaces, leading up to one of the most important climate events of the year, COP28.